Hello and welcome to Legendary Africa, a podcast where a disembodied voice speaks about African myths, legends, and folklore straight into your ear canal. Now, when we last spoke, Squatty, the moth you inhaled, remember, and I were running for our lives from Mulan, the legendary Chinese warrior, and her band of cowboys, who even knows where they came from. Squatty also had a cold, and I couldn't find a kitchen anywhere in your memory banks to make him some chicken broth. Seriously though, why do you not have any memories of a kitchen? Anyway, the bad news is, Mulan has captured us, and we are currently being brutally tortured. At this very moment, Mulan is relentlessly playing the baby shark song on repeat, and it's already been five hours of this. If you don't know what the baby shark song is, do yourself a favor and never Google it. I'm honestly not sure how much longer I can last. Squirty has already passed out the poor thing. Please, what do you want from us? I'll tell you what you want, just no more baby shark song. Welcome, welcome, my dear beautiful people, to December. After two fantastic bonus episodes in a row, I am amped and ready to dive back into the realm of African myth and legend. And I can't believe that December is here already. It's been a truly cuck year for many, including myself, but there are two things I can thank 2024. One, it strengthened certain friendships, and two, it's helped me make new wonderful ones. So, I want to give a shout out to my best friend Nadia, you've heard about her before who has been with me throughout my undergrad, honours, and master's years at university, and who has supported me more than I can thank her for since Charlie passed away. And a shout-out also to new friendships, especially to Siobhan Clark, the host of the Myth, Legend, and Lore podcast. You've definitely heard of her before. Uh, She is simply an amazing human, a wonderful friend. Honestly, you'll struggle to find a kinder person than Siobhan. I hope you also have had wonderful people around you throughout this difficult year. And if you haven't, I know you will soon. Another exciting piece of news is that my dad, Woody Puther, author of Mythic Tales Retold, has just published his latest book, Meandering. Now, Meandering is a collection of 23 lovely short stories from various genres, including fantasy, romance, comedy, and fireside tales inspired by African folklore. Now, I may be biased, but believe me when I say that these stories are beautifully written, entertaining, thought-provoking, touching, and simply magical. With such a wide range of genres and topics, there will be something for everyone to enjoy. And some stories are 6-9 to pages long, some are 1-2 to pages long, so there are also several good options if you're constrained by time. Meandering is available as an ebook on Apple Books, Bonds & Noble, Rakuten, Kobo, and other selected stores. I would recommend you read it on either an e-reader or computer, it just looks better. And you can follow my dad on Twitter, at PatherWoody, or on Instagram, at WoodyPather. All links will be in the show description. I will also have a special bonus episode coming up soon, where I will interview him on his books, Mythic Tales Retold, and Meandering. And there may be several other surprises as well. Okay, so let's get into the legend. Today I'm talking about a very popular legend from South Africa, the hole in the wall. This legend has been requested by a wonderful listener of the show named Nicole. She's an artist who posts her amazing work on Instagram, most of which is inspired by African folklore. She has given me some great information about this legend and many more tales. So, this episode is for you and I hope you enjoy it, Nicole. In the Eastern Cape, near what is called Coffee Bay, there is a most unusual rock formation. A huge wall with a detached cliff and a hole right in the middle. Now, the Osa people living in the area call it Izikaleni, 
the place of thunder or the place of sound. The name originates from the sound the waves make during high tide in certain seasons, a large clap which resounds throughout the region. There's a famous legend which explains how the hole came to be, and that's the story I'm going to tell today. I've rewritten it in my own style with many new elements and embellishments, but I hope that I have captured the original story in a respectful manner as well. Legend goes that a long time ago, there were two nations of people living there, the people of the land and the people of the sea. The people of the land were strong and beautiful, their dark skin shining as the full moon looked down at them. They grazed their cattle and were proud people. The people of the sea were slender and wise and also grazed their cattle on the cliffs when the tide was full, but they were not living in harmony. The people of the land were suspicious of the sea people, and believed that they were envious of their power over the land. They warned their children not to go near them, for they will be kidnapped and dragged into the sea, never to be seen again. So the people of the land continued with their daily lives, swimming in the lagoon, and relaxing in the shade of the milkwood trees which surrounded the lagoon. And when they were working, they would graze their cattle, hunt for food, and care for each other. All the while, they cautiously stayed away from the cliffs and the crashing waves beneath them. The water was treacherous and fickle, not to be trusted for in a second they could snatch you up and crush you against the sharp rocks. All the land people feared the sea greatly. All, except one. One girl, a young woman really, slender and tall, beautiful and intelligent. She was sought after by the men of her land but she accepted none, for she was drawn to another world, the world of the sea. Every morning and every evening, she would sit on the cliffs, wrapped in a silky rust-red cloak, and watch the waves pound against the wall, feeling not fear, but admiration and exhilaration. The sea did not scare her, it gave her energy like nothing else could. It was untamed, powerful, but also caring and nurturing. She would watch how the ocean would cradle newly hatched turtles as it helped them with their first steps into the water. Her mother wished for her to sit in their home and see to the household chores, and her father prayed to the gods for a good marriage. But she did not wish for either. I will marry father, but it will be to a man worthy of me whom I love, she would say to her father when he asked her why she did not want to marry. Her father's face would darken and he would grumble in a low, deep voice. Are not the men in my village worthy of you, my daughter? You are beautiful, intelligent, and the loveliest woman in my village, but you cannot be so proud. She would laugh and hold her father's hand gently in hers, until his face would soften with affection, and his eyes would laugh with her. There are many strong men in our village worthy of me, but I love none of them. She would reply in a soft, somewhat sad voice. Her father would sigh, worry in his mind, but overwhelming love for his daughter in his heart. He could not go against her wishes. He knew that one day... There will be a man whom she would love. But her father could not have expected the man his daughter would eventually choose, and his stubborn nature would cost him everything. One night, she decided to walk beyond the wall, which acted as a barrier to the sea, and down to the shore, against her father's fears and mistrust of the ocean. While she sat on the sand, listening to the musical sound of the waves washing against the low rocks, 
she saw a figure slowly walking out of the waves, gleaming white as if his bones were shining through his ghostly pale skin. He had broad shoulders and a strong body. Naked from the waist up, his muscles rippled as he cut a path through the water towards her. But it was his face which was the most striking feature about him. Eyes the colour of the green sea, long hair white as bone, which flowed in waves down his shoulders. Then he was standing before her, water dripping off his hand as he extended it towards her in a peaceful gesture. She was apprehensive at first, but also curious and excited. Standing, she greeted him in her language, expecting to receive some strange-sounding word in return. To her surprise, he greeted her back in the exact same way, in the same language. How do you know my language? she asked him, shocked and delighted. He laughed and smiled at her. Your language is my language. We are not as different as you may think, he spoke, his voice soft but filling the air as the clap of the waves did against the wall. Father warned me against you and your people. He said that you are demigods. Yet, you are like me, she said, gazing at him curiously. You are not much taller than me, you sound like me, and you do not act like a god. You seem like most of the men in my village, she concluded thoughtfully. He shrugged and smiled again. We are not gods, simply people who live in the sea. That is why I look the way I do. But otherwise, we graze cattle like you. We fish like you do, we have families like you do, we love and laugh like you do, which is why I have actually come here tonight, he added, his tone suddenly a little shy. I would like to take you to my home so that we can be married. I have seen you sitting on the cliffs every day, and every day I wanted to come and talk to you, but my heart failed me each time, and instead I chose to run back into the comfort of the water. But no more. Now I ask for a chance. Come with me and see what it's like to live as a woman of the sea he said earnestly, tentatively taking her hand in his. His hands were surprisingly soft, unlike her father's hands, which were rough and hard from working in the fields. The next morning, she went to her father and confessed to him that she had gone down to the shore and met one of the sea people. He was shocked and confused. How dare you disobey me? He growled, his confusion turning to anger to quickly hide the hurt he felt in his heart. I explicitly forbade you from going to the sea, and yet you take my words and throw them away like dirt. And now you say you've met with one of these people, and he wants to do... He wants to do what? He wants to marry me, she answered him softly, eyes downcast. She did not want to hurt or upset her father, but she loved the sea so much, and she had realized that she loved the seamen as well. Her father silently fumed for a few minutes before turning towards his daughter. I forbid such an abomination. You will not marry that creature, and you will never see him again. And you will never ever go down to the sea again. In fact, you are forbidden from leaving this village until you are married. The chief has spoken enough. He clapped his hands, and the sound echoed throughout the house and out into the village so loudly that everyone stopped and stared at the chief's house in shock. His daughter stood shocked as well. She had never seen her father so angry, or at least never at her. She knew that she had overstepped. But then she thought, her own face darkening in anger. She did not do anything wrong. In fact, he was wrong. The entire village was wrong. The sea people were not gods or demigods or whatever else people said. They were people like her and her brother and her younger sisters. They spoke their language, they walked like her, and ate the same food. 
and they were kind. She thought about the man who she had spent many hours speaking with on the shore. He was good and kind, and so curious about how they lived on land, but so eager to show her where he lived under the sea. He assured her that she would be safe. So no, she was not going to listen to her father rage and fume about something he'd not even tried to understand. She loved her father dearly, and she knew he loved her too. But he did not want to truly know her. That evening, she snuck past the guards her father had stationed outside her hut. Luckily, they were only guarding the main entrance, and did not know of the secret exit near the back of the hut which she was now crawling through. The exit was her brother's idea. Many years ago, when she was much younger, he would sneak by her hut and call softly to her, so that they could spar together in the fields at night. Her mother discouraged her from learning how to fight, but her brother had realized that his sister was actually the best fighter of them all. Nimble on her feet, strong and unwilling to back down, she was his equal in every fight. And now, she stood on the shore and waited for the seaman to come. She didn't have to wait long. Shimmering, he walked out of the water towards her, a bright smile on his face as he reached for her hands. But before he could say anything, she spoke softly and sadly. My father has forbidden our marriage. He will not listen to anything and refuses to even see you. The seaman's face fell, his heart breaking slightly as he stared at the tears rolling down her face. We can wait until he wishes to see me. I'll come every day and plead for an audience. You'll have to eventually see me, he suggested. She shook the tears angrily from her face. No, we will not wait. I will not allow him to control my life, not any more. My father was wrong to alienate my people from yours, but now he will see his mistake. So we shall leave. The seaman was overjoyed and stepped her into his arms happily. But then, I must prove my love for you. Wait here early tomorrow morning when the sun's rays first strike the wall. I will come and get you, and you will see my kingdom, he exclaimed, his green eyes sparkling with excitement. Your kingdom? she asked in shock. He laughed and placed her gently back on the shore. Backing away into the waters, he grinned at her, somewhat cheekily. Well, I am a king, and soon you will be my queen under the sea he announced before vanishing into the shimmering waters. The next morning, she was shocked to find her brother waiting for her outside of the secret exit. Brother? she whispered in shock. What are you doing here? I swear you don't understand. Father is wrong. He- Shh. We'll alert the guards if you keep chapping as loudly as the early morning bird, he whispered back, grabbing her by the arm and pulling her away out of sight. Placing a long finger on her lips, he continued to whisper. I know what you're going to do. Shh. I know what you're up to, but you will never be able to get out of the village. Mama has gone with her woman to the edge of the village to watch the children play, but it is a ruse. She knows you went to the shore last night, but she does not want to further anger father, so she is on the lookout for you. She groaned and let her face fall into her hands with despair. What am I to do? I will never see my king again, she cried out. Her brother crept a hand over her mouth and glanced towards the hut. What happened to the warrior I used to fight against? Find your strength and your courage, my sister. If you want your king, go get him. I will help you, as you used to help me. Her brother squeezed her hands fondly. She felt tears rise to her eyes, but she shook them away with determination and stood with her brother, her eyes gleaming. Thank you, big brother. So what is our plan? Their mother sat on the stump of a tree, fanning herself as the sun beat down upon herself and the children. The little ones didn't seem to mind the heat, 
although this was because they were completely naked. The other women stood around, mostly in groups, talking with each other, while keeping an eye out for the chief's daughter as instructed. Mama, it's hot. Why are you standing about here and letting your beauty melt into the earth? The chief's wife looked up to see her eldest son bounding towards her as if he were a little boy again. Her face instantly crinkled with happiness, and she stood to welcome her son into her arms. It has been many moons since I've seen you, my son. Why do you no longer love your mama? She teased him gently as she tried to rub dirt off his face. He squirmed slightly and blushed as the other woman, some of them young and unmarried, giggled at the sight of his mother fussing over him. The things he did for his sister. Meanwhile, down by the shore, the chief's daughter snuck onto the sand and waited. She had arrived just in time, for on the top of the cliff stood several white gleaming figures. Her king's people. They were facing partly away from her, and were motioning at something out of sight. Suddenly, a roar echoed through the area. A large, monstrous roar. For a brief moment, she panicked and wondered whether her king was declaring war on her people. Then, a huge serpentine creature appeared, its bejeweled head hovering over the Great War. It was covered in green, gleaming scales and had long black whiskers which extended from its mouth. And atop it sat her king, his long white hair glistening as he rode the creature towards the wall, his hands gripping its whiskers tightly. She expected him to come around the far side of the wall to the shore where she stood, but instead he continued straight towards the wall. What is he doing? He's going to crash right into it, she exclaimed, and began screaming and shouting for him to stop. Her cries alerted the others in her village, and soon everyone came spilling onto the shore, including her mother and father and brother who stared in shock at the creature. The chief stood open-mouthed as the serpent reared back and then smashed into the bottom of the wall, causing the earth to shake. People started screaming, while the sea people began cheering on their king. The chief's daughter suddenly realized what her king was doing, and she smiled with pride. He is breaking down the barrier between us. Again and again, the creature slammed into the wall until rocks began to break off and a rough hole formed large enough for the creature to carry the king through. Riding the huge waves, the sea king swept down towards his love and her family, and extended a hand towards her. Glancing towards her brother, who smiled encouragingly at her, she took his hand and leapt onto the creature with him. Her parents stood shocked and speechless. The sea people began cheering, and the children of her village, blissfully ignorant, began cheering too. She waved happily at her family, and especially at her brother, before gripping onto the king, while the creature turned and dove back into the waves, swimming through the hole and into the kingdom of the sea people. And so, she was never seen again. Her village was shocked by what happened, and for years to come, they would refuse to even acknowledge the hole in the wall. The chief and his wife would eventually let go of their anger, but it would take them too long to do so. Only one man would go down to the shore and wait until a slender woman with beautiful dark skin and kind chocolate eyes would appear from the waters, her rust-red cloak gathered around her. They would talk and walk along the shore until the moon sank below the waters and the sun rose again, and he would meet his nieces and his nephews to see people on special occasions. For they were not so different to him. They looked different, but they ate as he would and talked as he would. And most importantly, he loved his sister as he wanted her to be loved. And after all, 
Isn't that what truly mattered? Yo, my dudes, how did I make the story more romantic than it already was? I surprise myself sometimes. So, anyone who's familiar with this legend will realize that I have seriously embellished and reworked the story, but I hope that you can still enjoy it enough to move that I made of my own. I love the legend and wanted to essentially write something which was inspired by it. As I wrote, I realized that it was becoming more about the love and bond between our main heroine and her brother than, you know, her and her sea man, which I quite liked. Now, there's a few interesting things about the hole in the wall. Firstly, that it is called both Isikaleni and Esikaleni. I've tried to find out why there are these two versions, and if anyone can educate me, please do. There's also another story related to the hole in the wall, which is largely historical, and involves the slaughtering of thousands of cattle. However, this episode is quite long already, so I've decided to leave the story for another episode, part two as it were. Thank you again to Nicole for requesting the story and providing information for it. I hope you enjoyed it. My main source was the book South African Myths and Legends by Jay Heal, and other sources include awesomesouthafrica.co.za, buffalocitytourism.co.za, and wildcoast.co.za. podcast recommendation of this episode is Sandman Stories Presents. Sandman Stories Presents is a podcast where Dustin, the host, reads stories from the public domain intended to help you achieve a peaceful sleep or just to simply relax you. He's got some lovely stories from all over the world, India, China, South Africa, Turkey to just name a few. Dustin's voice is soothing and calming and will definitely allow you to sleep better. Or if you're like me and listen to podcasts while you work, Dustin's voice will help take the stress of work away and allow you to be productive throughout the day. I highly recommend this podcast for anyone who has a love for stories, gentle storytelling, and a curious mind. Subscribe and listen, you will not regret it. Now, I have a bit more news before I end the episode. I recently started a uh, subscribing-exclusive newsletter. So, it's exclusive to those who subscribe, either via my website, or you can send me your email address to staylegendarypod at gmail.com, or send me your email address via my DMs on Twitter or Instagram. Um, in this uh, newsletter, I have an exclusive folktale, past and upcoming bonus episodes, highlights, letters from my producer and intern. Yes, that's right. You'll be hearing from Hestia the Dog and Athena the Doggle themselves. The folktale will be written in the newsletter as well as accompanied by an audio clip. So this newsletter will be sent out every few weeks or months, but it really depends on what content I have for you guys. Please also remember to check out my dad's two new books, but they tell retold and meandering now available on Apple Books, Kobo, and Barnes & Noble. Links to buy the book can be found in the show description as well as on my social media. Go follow him on Twitter at PathWoody and Instagram at WoodyPather. Or pop him an email for more details at WoodyPather at gmail.com. Before we wrap up the episode, I wanted to read a poem by a very special poet. The poet is actually the father of a guest I had previously on Legendary Africa, uh, Dr. Richard Sugg. Dr. Richard Sugg is the author of 11 books, including A Century of Supernatural Stories, A Singing Mouse at Buckingham Palace, Fairies, A Dangerous History, The Real Vampires, and A Week with the Jeffle Hunters. I talked to him about his book, Mummies, Cannibals, and Vampires, The History of Corpse Medicine from the Middle Ages to the Falun Gong, 
it was a lovely interview and if you want to check it out do find it on apple podcasts google spotify and wherever else you find podcasts this poem that he sent me i thought it was so beautiful and and touching that i wanted to share it with all of you with his permission this is a poem by dr richard Sugg's father called to elizabeth your winter garden When spring comes again, and green fingers probe your heart, and down long sunlit lanes, filigree of green and gold bejewel your mind, cool silver streams will run and through your veins, as though a dappled forest flow the sap of spring. Not all your winter imagining could foretell this beauty, but now the need is answered, not in reality, but dream. Now root and seed of thought, and tiny flower bedeck the garden of your mind, your winter garden. Thank you so much, Richard, for allowing me to read out the beautiful, beautiful poem by your father. Other than that, I have been your host, Shira, the disembodied voice you can't escape. And the legendary Africa team, led by Hestia the Dog and Athena the Doggo, would like to thank you for listening today. Remember to subscribe to Legendary Africa wherever you listen, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever, and to share with your friends, family, assorted pets, and any of your local flora and fauna. If you like what you hear and want to share that love, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, or anywhere else you can leave comments. Follow us on Instagram at LegendaryPod, and on Twitter at LegendaryPod1. And pop me an email if you want to staylegendarypod at gmail.com. I welcome all myth ideas or prompts, favorite recipes, and pictures of your pets, unless your pets happen to be biters, in which case you can keep the picture away from me. Please, no offense. I'll see you next week with an all-new ancient myth, legend, or tale from our beautiful continent of Africa. Until then, tell your loved ones you love them, thank the angel on your shoulder, stay safe, stay sexy, and stay legendary. Bye.